Bad Empire, Bad Podcast. This bad week, we're joined by Denzel Washington, the star and director of the Oscar-nominated Behemoth, Fences. Oh, yes, and Lego Batman himself, Will Arnett. That's a Bats lineup. All that and more on the movie podcast. I was very nearly finally ill on national TV last night. True story. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast in association with mustard.co.uk, the insurance comparison site that helps you save time, money, and effort. And this week, Helping me save time, money and effort as well are two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up was a man who was very nearly finally ill at the BAFTAs. Well, of course he was. He's a classy guy. He likes to be ill, surrounded by subtitles and tuxedos. Mm-hmm. It's our art house guru, Phil DeSimlin. Hi. How are you, man? Good. That sounds like the prelude to a an anecdote that literally no one wants to hear. So I won't tell it. But I was mm. actually quite violently sick at the BAFTAs. Were you? Or as I like to call them, the BAFTAs. <laughs> yeah. When? I've been working on that for the last seven years. When? Uh, Colin Firth was going up to collect his BAFTA for a single man. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so that's, when was that, 2009, 2010? It's a while back. Yeah. I've recovered. 2011, But I manfully came into work the next day um, until I was. it was pointed out to me by several people that had actually turned yellow. I and remember like a Simpsons. this. Um, because it was the whole norovirus, I was sick and then I got the flu. I remember this. I remember I was well, whatever I was doing at the Baptist, probably fifty bloggy sort of stuff. And I came in to see you guys because you were in the press room and you weren't there. And I remember asking, "Where is Where, he? Where's Phil? He's in a cubicle? Yeah." And uh, he's been reduced to a small green yellow streak. Is this the worst start to a podcast? He's ever covering the event from a cubicle. No, this is this the is gastronitis. People need to know that w- <laughs> the, the, the stuff we go through. It's not all glamour. It's not, it's not all glamour. Almost none of it's glamour. <laughs> Very little glamour. Very little glamour. Yeah. Not, not mild glamour. A lot of fun. A lot the of BAFTAs, fun. that's good. The BAFTAs. BAFTAs. Good to work with that. Uh, the other voice you're hearing, of course, is our Jurassic World star man who's taken time off from jet-setting and commanding millions to do his, his bidding. Uh, it is Edmund, of course, from Jurassic World. Hello. Uh, Nick DeSemlian, a man who was very nearly finally ill on the set of... Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen. And I go. was I was violently ill. Well, I actually this is had amazing. to delay my flight by like two days. Really? Um, yeah, I saw the script. <laughs> uh, I, just, I didn't see the script, but I got I got proper sick. Robot I balls. could only eat like dry toast. This was, this was for in about Egypt. a month afterwards. This was in uh, yeah the pyramids. I got to see John Turturro climbing a pyramid. Didn't you also get to see Paul McCartney? I saw Paul McCartney. He was staying at, um, staying in the same hotel as us. It's a nice hotel. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to. So I was working on a Macatron gag for the feature but it never made it probably for the best yeah yeah and probably went with everything else that left your system when you were violently ill probably probably Who yes knows? kids well, don't get sick don't get sick try not to get sick people uh, but don't watch Transformers 2 either yes <laughs> Revenge of the Colon uh, so <laughs> We're going to... Uh, it is the BAFTAs this weekend, so in a way that was topical. It was topical. Well, no, it was very topical because it was in direct relation to something that happened to me last night. Hmm. So it, you can't get more topical than that. I'm, I'm being... And there's a new Transformers film coming. So this is... <laughs> this, is yeah. this is basically the news section. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, this is good. Stomach news. So people are going, oh, Helen's away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Helen's she, away. Oh, yeah. Here come the boys. Yeah. So what, what are they going to be talking about? It's all right. Refined. Football, lads, banter. It's culture. Uh, no, we're talking about being finally ill in the first four minutes of the podcast. Anyway, it's all good. We're going to bring it back. Uh, here's a question. The question is via email from Amy Noble. Uh, and she asks, I was wondering what your favourite use of a cinema in a film is. One of my favourites, says Amy Noble, is true romance. Uh, and how... I'm just pronouncing words in a very weird way. I realised... <laughs> 
that uh, I said Will Arnett. I noticed of, that. Yeah, I thought. I, but I thought that's the correct no. way to say it. No, it's, it's so not. Weird. It's not. Okay, it's Arnett. And I just, but I didn't want to go back. I believed you. I believed in you. I was going to change the way I say it. <laughs> we spent <laughs> we spent about two and a half hours yesterday discussing how to pronounce Denis Villeneuve. We went from Denis Villeneuve <laughs> to Dennis, not just Dennis, but Dennis, like proper kind of uh, only fools and horses. Okay, Villeneuve. <laughs> I, what? I know, to Dennis Filner. I call him Easy D. Easy D. <laughs> that's, just, that's just the way we roll. I've never met him, but I will call him Easy D if I do. Easy I've D. met him and don't. So, okay, you've. Oh, right, all right. So, you've I, met him. I, yes. So, but I did that thing that I did. How are you introduced to him? I normally do, where you sort of like start the word and then just. Sort of, so, I was like, uh, hello, Denise. <laughs> will you Let's introduce talk him? about on, did, your film Ensemble Wow. And Sanders. Oh, yes, yes. That's, that is one of the more difficult names to pronounce. Have you been uh, corrected when you introduce someone on the podcast occasionally? Like if you say someone's name and then they kind of go, that's I was. She. Yeah, who was that? Oh, that's a good question. Is that Colin Trevorrow? Colin Trevorrow. Because yep, that's a tricky one. I'm still Colin. not too confident in how you say that. I still that don't one. know. Is it Trevorrow or Trevorrow? It's Trevorrow. Trevorrow. Uh, the, the rule of thumb here is that you go with the way the person whose name it is. Yeah. pronounces it so if Colin Trafaro says uh, my yeah. name is Colin Trafaro then it's Colin Trafaro doesn't apply to but I'm not confident though. in how yeah we say our, our surname different two ways. different ways it's revenge of the Colin I don't know it's it's uh, <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing I'm interviewing Denzel Washington today and uh, we've all been pronouncing Denzel haven't Denzel. we Denzel for years it might be Keith Easy D. For all we know. Easy D. <laughs> easy double D. <laughs> easy D. How much will you pay me if I introduce him on the podcast as Easy D? Um, Not enough to cover your medical <laughs> costs. He's he, I get I get I could whip around the room. You know he's he's he's, in, he's pushing sixty, isn't he, Denzel? Oh, okay. I could easily I could skip around him. How do we how do we get onto this? Because uh, <laughs> I, I pronounce gone, true wait. romance as romance, uh, and I pronounce Will Arnett as Will Arnett or Arnett or whatever. Um, anyway, I wasn't even halfway through the question. One of my favourites is true romance, says Amy Noble, and how it is used to introduce Christian Slatters, uh, Clarence Worley. To Patricia Arquette's Alabama Whitman. Um, <laughs> I genuinely was. I did pronounce Whitman. What's happening to me? Alabama Whitman. So this is um, the Sonny Chiba double bill, triple bill? Triple bill. Triple bill. I have triple a friend, uh, Ali, who uh, has done this triple bill. Ally. He did the. He loves True Romance so much that he he actually watched the, what, the Sonny Chiba films. What are those films? Oh, Some of it. Gosh. Yeah. I'm going to have to text him. Text text your friend Ali right now. Um, text street, him at oh, wait, Son of the Street Fighter. Uh, the, the, I can't remember, to be honest. I'm not a sunny cheaperologist, but... Um, you just reminded me of... I don't know, sorry, this is completely irrelevant, but the John Travolta... <laughs> the John Travolta, Dina Menzel, yes. um, the meme YouTube thing that went around where he mispronounced every single name of the Oscars, apart from Quivenjene Wallace. <laughs> Which you got spot and, on. And you would tell Edgy And you would tell <laughs> Oh, that was genius! If you haven't seen it, Google it immediately. I don't know what you'd Google, but oh, I, I've got it. Right, so I, I've got, I've got it. I've got it too. Okay. You say one, I'll say one. And <laughs> Street then, Fighter. Yes, the Street Fighter. I thought I was going. I was going to say the Street Fighter. Return of the Street Fighter and Sister Street Fighter. Yeah, there we go. This is suddenly cheaper triple bill. Uh, that is a that's a great scene. Uh, that's a great scene. Any other examples, gentlemen of Glorious Bastards? Yeah. Chuck another Tarantino one in there. Obviously, um, I, I can think of two films with an exploding cinema, one of which is Gremlins and the other is Inglorious Bastards. Both mm. of them very, very good. Speaking of use of cinemas, that it's a confined space that people get sort of trapped in, hence the blob, where the blob oozes in. 
and uh, mm-hmm, as you mm-hmm. say, Glorious Bastards and American Werewolf. Yes. The sense of like suddenly you're out having fun watching a movie and then suddenly you're gonna die kind of thing. Um, uh, also, um, Donnie Darko. Yeah, Donnie Darko. So cinemas and movies can be quite dangerous places, especially if Mickey Rourke is around with a popcorn bucket. Yeah, which if you've seen Diner. I'm not going to describe the scene, but it's, it's <laughs> probably I'd rather go in a gremlin-style fireball than, than have, have that happen to me. Be near the exit. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very important. Yeah, Dan Jolin. I think that's a Dan Jolin approach, isn't it? Yeah. He, he needs to be near the facilities. <laughs> that would save his life in a lot of these scenarios. He does. I always worry about reviews written by Dan because I've been to see films with Dan and he visits the toilet about two or three times and I just I wonder what he's can't missed. talk about this on the podcast. I wonder what he's missed. Yeah. His it's review like, of The Usual Suspects is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone banging on about yeah, this twist in the sixth sense? There's, 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 not, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. Totally fine. Yeah. There are many, there are many uh, examples of this and I can really only think of like a handful. But um, one of my favourites has to be Blazing mm-hmm. Saddles in which they go into cinema and watch oh Blazing God. Saddles yeah, um, on horseback. That's a good one. There's so many um, postmodern uh, examples of that, and uh, pretty much the same thing happens at the end of uh, In the Mouth of Madness, the John Carpenter film, oh, yeah. where the world goes to shit at the end. It's part of his Apocalypse trilogy, along with uh, The Thing and Print of Darkness. Mm. And, uh, and it's really just a batshit insane ending where Sam Neill, I won't say it, but ends up watching a movie about the thing that's happening in the world right now and he just the, the, the last scene in the movie is just him laughing insanely at the uh, the events uh, so it just ruined the movie for everyone Whoa, but anyway yeah, I, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I just saw that it's recently really good. I just saw that recently there's a great gif of um, Sam Neill just laughing which yeah. uh, he tweeted quite recently um, as a response to some political thing that was mm. going on there's another meta one I can think of which is Gremlins 2 the new batch which was a, in the American version, it's John Wayne interrupts the film. Is that right? No, the, no Hulk, Hulk Hogan. Okay, yeah, so Hulk Hogan, and then we got John Barry Wayne, Norman. a bad John right. Wayne. Uh, one of, so uh, Hulk Hogan interrupts the, 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 uh, the movie. Leonard Maltin, the great American film critic, is reviewing Gremlins. So he's part of the he's in the Daniel Clamp building and he has his own show on the Clamp Cable Network and he's reviewing Gremlins and the Gremlins appear and they start and they start attacking him uh, and then the the film breaks down and in the states initially at least Hulk Hogan popped up and had a fight with the Gremlins and it all went weird. Why and did then, we not get that? And then he because they, they decided that Hulk Hogan wasn't uh, didn't have Hulk a cultural Hogan. currency at he that totally point. He totally did. He totally so did. John Wayne. A bad John Wayne impression uh, shows up in the UK version is dead. I think we have the Hulk Hogan one now. In the, Stop in the... it, you gremlins! That was my John Wayne. Hey, pal! How I sure that? hope you wash those hands. That's a line from the movie. Helen, Helen's not here today. She obviously she's not here because I can see, but she might not if she listens to this. Um, La La Land. Yeah, when Ryan Gosling takes Emma Stone to uh, watch the toilet. Not the toilet. To, uh, to oh, watch Rebel without a, to watch Rebel without a cause at the Rialto Cinema. That's right, and, and then schools her. Yeah, in 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 this marvelous film that she's literally never seen before. Yeah, um, I know that's a favourite of Helen's. Yeah, because he he mansplains. Not he rebelsplains. Uh, yeah, but then the film burns up, <laughs> and then someone pointed out on Twitter that no one because later on when we see the Rialto Cinema in La La Land, it's closed, and it's like, well, no wonder you're you're 
your attitude towards film preservation is just <laughs> shocking. It lacks. You're just burning up the film. It's classic print. It could be the last print of Rebel Without a Cause. You just maybe burn Mel- it. Melanie Laurent from Inglorious Bastards was in there trying, <laughs> trying, to, trying to take them down. Um, there's another meta one I can think of, which is Last Action Hero, which doesn't. I, I like what it's trying to do. It doesn't do it particularly well, but it's trying to be kind of meta with the idea of a cinema. And yeah. I think originally they were going to do more stuff, like they were going to have. Um, Arnie's character taking a scratch off the film and using it as a weapon and things like that, which yeah. would have been really fun, but they didn't do it. It's his movie that he goes in and sees that they're seeing. He's or- the yeah. I mean, it's he goes. The kid goes into Arnie's movie and then Arnie comes out at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. In the real world, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind mm. of fun. I like that idea that you're when you're in the cinema, you're sort of alone in the dark, and it's a very personal relationship between you and the film, and therefore you have. You have examples like um, The Purple Rose of Cairo, the Woody Allen movie, where Jeff Daniels' character is in the movie and then starts addressing Mia Farrow, who's in the audience, and then their kind of lives entwine from there, um, which is quite fun and playful. Um, If you're still with Public Enemies, the Michael Mann film at hour 17, there's the scene where Johnny Depp's John Dillinger... It recreates the moment where John Dillinger goes to watch Manhattan Melodrama at the Biograph Theatre before he's obviously gunned down by the FBI before they send in the feds. And excuse me, you're spoiling films. It's <laughs> <laughs> a of limitations. This is ridiculous, come on. 100 years ago. <laughs> um, it would be remiss in this current climate of, of, uh, of viral stickliness, uh-huh. uh, not to mention outbreak, in which... <laughs> in which, a cinema scene, an outbreak. In which, yeah, yeah in which That's the germs spread yeah. through a screening of, uh, of uh, What's Up Doc, wiping out Peter Bogdanovich's entire fan base. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really? Yeah, have you wow. remember that no, one? No, no, I don't remember it that. It is a sneeze and you follow the germs. It goes germ cam. Isn't it Patrick Maybe. Dempsey? Or is it, who is it? He's one. Of the, he's like patient zero, isn't he, Patrick Dempsey? But there's is it he? Does he go to the cinema? I Because I just remember that shot of the person coughing and the yeah. close up of the germs that you know yeah. we can't see spreading through the air. It's quite, it's quite pretty creepy. effective. Yeah. yeah. Talking so, about yeah. Sorry. Talking about creeping dread and 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 death. Uh, Mr. Bean's Holiday um, <laughs> that just popped into my head. Oh my goodness! That's the only time I've I've ever interviewed Willem Dafoe was about Mr. Bean's Holiday. Of all the films to talk to someone about, but yeah, that he plays a kind of Mr. Bean goes to Cannes, and Willem Dafoe plays this highbrow art house director who's premiering his new film, and Mr. Bean gets stuck in the projection booth. <laughs> it's all a bit fuzzy, but that's one of the worst films I've ever seen. Well, Mr. Bean, uh, Mr. Bean uh, replaces the the real of the film yeah. with his own home video <laughs> and it gets a massive reception it, yeah and people think it's an avant-garde <laughs> slight of genius I went into the junket and Willem Dafoe said please ask me about any film but this one <laughs> that's how we started the interview that's uh, that's an astonishing film he doesn't Mr Bean kill someone in that film he probably does so it's, I, I it's... reviewed it at the time and I used the pun natural bean killer <laughs> so I'm pretty sure he pushes someone out a window accidentally and they don't fall to their death um, he yeah. is a sociopath he's a human virus he must be stopped he must be stopped. Uh, there's loads. There's loads. You guys haven't even Taxi mentioned. Driver. Taxi Driver. Cinema Paradiso. Matinee. Matinee. Um, what else is uh, good in terms of projection? Well, in terms Am- of... Okay. Oh, sorry. sorry. No. Uh, sorry. Amelie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they go and watch Jules Les Gym. Well, Cinema Paradiso may be the best one. It's got that amazing moment where um, they splice together all the kisses from different movies. It's a hard moment. <laughs> It's a, it's a touching moment. Uh, that's not a, that's, not that's that what meant. Right. Okay. Okay. And Taxi Driver, they do the same thing, but with... 
What's happening? I don't know. Taxi driver. Takes Sybil <laughs> Shepherd. Just, can't, just can't Taxi driver. He takes Sybil Shepherd to watch um to watch a porno. I wrote it down. It's the Swedish marriage manual. Is that what it is? I was googling Swedish erotica. Just, <laughs> just happened to find that to rela- this Yeah, right. Uh, that's what the film and taxi driver is called, which is, I think, a made-up film. That's not a real. That's made up by right by uh, Paul Schrader, presumably. Yeah. So you, what are you saying? This is the definitive one, the number one. Is there anything that's better than true romance? <sighs> than true anything better than true romance? Yeah, I think anything cinema than- paradiso. Yeah, yeah, for me, I reckon. Oh yeah, yeah, I reckon. Or, the, or Blazing Saddles, the whole of Demons, right? The whole of Demons, which is set inside a, a cinema. Uh, the is the film called The Whole of Demons? No, is it the, called the, the Demons? Demons. Talking about all of it. Demons. Lambert oh. above as Demons. Oh. Um, you ever seen it? No. It's a group, group of people go to a, a cinema and they're given a weird ticket and they're mysterious. Oh, what is this? I, I assume this is what happens at previous screenings. Uh, and uh, someone cuts themselves on the ticket I think or a mask I can't quite remember uh, and starts to turn into a demon uh, it all goes completely nuts and people then they try and get out of the cinema but they find that all the exits have been, have been blocked up and bricked up and so suddenly they're finding themselves everyone starts to get infected by these crazy drooling multicoloured fanged toothy terrors you know it's a bit like sounds like this podcast yeah it is and uh, there's another really really uh, creepy scene in a movie little known horror film called Messiah of Evil uh, which is directed by Willard Hoyt I saw that last year it's because really? it's by the two people who wrote Temple of Doom a husband and wife team yeah so I watched it. That's a weird film mm. Lamboto Barva's Demons from 1985 that's correct it's set in West Berlin there you go I'm in yeah Messiah of Evil there's that really really creepy scene where someone goes to the cinema and they're watching the film and if you know, it's a really long, drawn-out sequence, and more and more zombie-like people just start mm. creeping into the cinema, getting closer to him, sitting closer, closer, closer. Is it a woman? I can't remember. Uh, and then eventually, it's a big old fight to the death. It's very interesting. Mm. But there you go. Last, lastly, okay. Um, uh, celebrating cinema, Hugo's mm. got a great scene with um, Sir Ben Kingsley as Sir ben. George George Melier. Sir George. Sir George Melier. Lord Melier, yeah, George. <laughs> uh, introducing, is it Trip to the Moon? Uh-huh. It is. I like that scene. Yeah, Voyage a la Luna. That's the <laughs> Spanish. That's the Spanish, Spanish title. Voyage. Uh, it might be the Spanish title. Okay, uh, we haven't mentioned any drive-ins. Are we saying just cinemas? Oh, yeah. Save fun. that maybe for another week. For another week. Let's do that next week. Drive-ins are or, yeah, or like cinema or like movies in prisons or movies in barracks or well, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, as a great scene, you know. Oh, we could talk about this. For what ages. makes a cinema? Targets. Peter Bogdanovich's targets uh, has a heart. You know, it's about a sniper who targets a a, a, a drive-in movie theater, uh, and it's quite quite chilling. And you get um, Boris Karloff uh, as a, as the movie star who tries to take down this absolute whack job. It's uh, it's um, good movie for another time, perhaps part two. Let's definitely do movies in uh, barracks yeah. next yeah. week. Oh. Hush your mouth. Hush your mouth. <laughs> brothers, brothers, please, let's try to get on. Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast, uh, you can, of course, send them in via email. We're podcast at empireonline.com, or you can tweet us. We're at Empire Magazine on the old Twitter device and use the hashtag Empire Podcast, or chances are we won't see it because we're so goddamn popular. And you can also Facebook us as well, where we are 
Empire magazine. Okay, we have two cracking guests this week. Let's get on with the first. Uh, he is a wonderful comedic actor uh, whose distinctive voice gave life to Lego Batman in the Lego movie with such success that he's back with his own Bat spin-off. It is, of course, Will Arnett. Will Will Arnett. Will Arnett. And he was talking to Emma Thrower about all kinds of lovely Bat stuff. Enjoy. On... Oh my goodness. We got that. That's live sparkling water. It's a first, I think, in the Empire podcast. Is it? I think it might be. A lot of people don't know that I do all my own Foley work. <laughs> so I do. <laughs> Hello? This works really well on radio. Yeah, it does work, right? Yeah. I noticed that people still do, uh, like on the BBC, they still do like the radio plays here. Yes. Which is hilarious to me. Because as soon as I start hearing their radio plays, I start worrying that we're going to get, you know, that uh, I start listening for uh, German planes. <laughs> it feels like it's so archaic. I feel like I'm in uh, World War II. Do you feel like you need to come over here and get involved with the BBC somehow, maybe? I feel like I need to come over yeah. here and, and uh, get Neville Chamberlain out of office, <laughs> for Christ's sake. I mean... Don't get me started on Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> that guy. That guy. Ruined it for everybody. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I suppose we should welcome you to the podcast, first of all, maybe. Thank you, yes. <laughs> so as time. you can hear, Will Arnett, a man whose voice is probably going to make your day about 99% better, is is here, but he's, he's, he's pouring sparkling water. Yeah. Um, so we should probably talk about Batman, I guess. I guess we should. I yeah. mean, let's touch on it for a minute. Should we do it? And then let's move on to stuff that's more important. Okay, like Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain, Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. always Call of Duty. Yeah. Um, in the Lego movie, you, you popped up and you stole the show. I don't know about that. And now, <laughs> now you're, you're carrying this film. Did you feel a different kind of pressure coming into this one? Um... No, not really. I, to be honest, I didn't really feel that kind of pressure because the first in the, the Lego movie, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who who wrote and directed that, are such brilliant guys, as you know. Yeah. And I'm sure all your all your listeners are are big fans of everything that those guys do Definitely. and are currently working on as well. Um, and so I knew I was in good hands. You know, originally I knew those guys. Um, I had recorded for a few months, um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Yeah. Uh, ahead of Bill Hader and it was a much darker vision for that film and Sony upon kind of watching early stuff on it thought it was going to be too dark for they wanted it to be a much lighter kind of bigger family event film they didn't want to take a chance on doing something that was too different in that way and I, I, I can't blame them so we kind of parted ways and it was very sad um, they were so bummed and and, uh, and I was so bummed uh, that, that it didn't work out especially after we had such a great start to our relationship yeah. and they'd even, they knew I was a massive Withnail fan uh, okay. and they got me a, a vinyl copy of the Withnail soundtrack, Amazing. which they must have gone to great pains to <laughs> locate, uh, which I still have. So that's actually the good part that came out of okay. Cloudy with Chance Meatballs. But then when they came to me and, and, and said, look, we're going to, a couple of years later, and said, we're going to make it all better by we're going to do the Lego movie. And I thought, I don't know what that means. And then, uh, and we want you to play Batman. I thought, okay, great. Well, these guys, I'm in good hands. And of course, the movie turned out to be so, uh, so much more than even I had hoped it to be. Yeah. And so when they said, 
we're going to make the Lego Batman film and McKay, Chris McKay is going to direct it, who had been a big integral part of the success of the first one. He's such a brilliant guy. He said, McKay is going to be the captain of the ship. He's directing it and we're going to produce it. I just knew that, that I was with such a great team and it's such a collaborative putting these films together. These animated films is such a collaborative effort. Um, you obviously, you need a good captain and, and McKay is a great captain and Lord and Miller are great captains. But you really need, the team needs to be solid. So I never felt nervous that I was out there on a limb on my own. Of course, yes, it's the Lego Batman movie, and it is all about his story. But um, I had a great team. And then you've got Zach Galifianakis, Mm -hmm. you've got Michael Sarah and Rosario Dawson, and then Ray Fiennes. (laughs) Thank Alfred. And he's so good in it. So funny. So funny, so good, so dry, so sweet. Um, And it's a great story, and it all adds up. So... Yeah. Yeah. Talking of Zach, this is quite a different Batman film because, you know, without saying too much, this is essentially a relationship story between the Joker to an extent and Batman, which is a route we've never seen before. So how did you kind of react when you first saw that script? Well, (laughs) you know, first of all, the way it works in animation, there is is a script, but also it's it's a constantly changing thing. So it's not like there's a 90 page script that exists and that we just work off that it's pieces and pieces. And you know, with, with, uh, what we were working off and the, the different pages we had, uh, Zach and I actually sort of uh, a while ago got into early on, got into the room together and we spent an afternoon, uh, kind of finding that relationship. Okay. Uh, and we read and we improvised a lot and, and kind of helped, helped to establish that dynamic. Yeah. Um, and McKay was, had a really great idea of of the direction he wanted us to go. And once we kind of zeroed in on the idea that it was kind of like the, there was almost like a lover spat going on, we knew we were onto something that was, that was kind of uh, gold. And it was, it was great considering how marble mouth and what a terrible speaker Zach is. <laughs> and it's so hard to get his redneck accent out of him. Um, but we were able to scrub it. Yeah. He's very, very fun. <laughs> scrub it. No, I'm kidding. He's, he's very great. fun though in that. He is fun. And it's no imitation of any other Joker. Like it's just his own, he's just having it's fun. His own, it, it's his own. It's really Zach's own poor intellect really shows through. <laughs> This film plays with the idea of all the Batman past. Yes. Um, and there, there are quite a few. Did you basically have the rights to everything? Was there anything you couldn't get that you know the guys wanted to get in the film? Um, no, not really. I, I think that uh, in terms of uh, Batman stuff, we were able to kind of go where we wanted to. Yeah. There were moments, I will say, that uh, I spent a lot of time um, taking swipes at other th- properties <laughs> yeah. that... Um, some of them in-house and some of them owned by other people that yeah. they did not allow. And they were like, for obvious reasons, there was just no way they were going to let me put that in the movie. Sure. Um, and I would sometimes hit it again and again and again, yeah. <laughs> hoping that they would back them into a corner. They have to use it, but, but they didn't. But for the most part, no, they were really great about it. And, and, and letting us, you know, again, again, I, Lego Batman exists because I've had the luxury of being able to go back and look at all the other bat men sure. before and uh, and through that I was able to kind of pick and choose and take my moments do you actually feel in a way that you kind of miss out a little bit by not you know donning a, a real suit by not being a live action Batman or do you kind of go slightly method and wear the cowl in the booth yeah <laughs> that would be uh, a little hard those things are really uncomfortable I wore the cowl and the suit 
the Oscars a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, that was incredible. When Everything is Awesome was, yeah, when they performed that, and they were like, hey, why don't you come up and just um, just do a couple uh, lines from your song, and uh, and I had Questlove as Robin with yeah. me. Yeah, and that was really, really fun. Uh, I got to wear that. There was a Val Kilmer, originally a Val yes. Kilmer suit, which they modified because uh, I guess I'm about a foot taller than Val Kilmer. I don't know. Kidness me. Okay. I know. He always thought of him as a really tall guy. Yeah. That's crazy. Because that was my next question. I was going to say, like, how, you know, what was the story there? Did you literally just sort of go, hey, Val, can I, no, uh, no. Can I borrow Warner, your scene? Warner Brothers owns it. So when Warner Brothers wanted us to do it and they were, the studio um, sent it over and we started fitting it and uh, they have a lot of these suits. Yeah. And we, I guess they tried to approximate which one was going to fit the best. <laughs> um, and, I don't yeah Ben the the new one wasn't out yet and they hadn't so even revealed that too, one looks so big yeah Ben's Ben's uh, taller than me I yeah. think and, and he's bigger like he's sort of got big shoulders and mm-hmm. arms and stuff uh, he's like a like a kick ass Batman yeah you know it's hardcore he's super hardcore he looks like he could punch his way through a bank vault <laughs> How do you think your Batman would do against his? Do you, you just well, run away? I'm just glad we're friends. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, no, I think he's awesome. You've got some pretty awesome toys in this film. I yeah. love the um, Scuttler, yeah. which is amazing. Isn't that cool? It is very, very yeah. cool. Um, do you have a certain favorite gadget or part of the Batcave that you just think is, you know, really, really good? Well, you just took away Scuttler, which is I, so <laughs> awesome. He's probably the best one. So I good. Know. Uh, cause, uh, Imagine a vehicle that can just kind of do anything. Yeah. It can kind of climb mountains, literally. But there was some cool... There was the, the Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty funny. I don't know when you'd have the opportunity to use the, <laughs> the, the bad Zeppelin. Uh, kayak's pretty cool. Kayak's pretty good. <laughs> the kayak. And some of those, you know, the, the, the costumes were, the, you know, all the different, the various uh, uh, Batman outfits that he had. Yeah. The thousands of them were pretty rad. I think um, you've earned the right definitely to call yourself the Netflix king at the moment. I keep, I keep telling people I don't like that. I prefer emperor. Emperor. Okay. So the Netflix emperor. Um, <laughs> Bojack is basically one of my favorite programs of all time. And I'm super excited for season two of Flicked, which yeah. you, you co-wrote and co-produced. Um, yeah. What is it about the freedom of, you know, of Netflix that you love so much? Yeah, they've just—they're just so artist-friendly, you know. Yeah. And and uh, I'm really—I've—I've I've really been very uh, uh, fortunate to be able to to work there a lot over the last few years, and they've been really good to me. And and you know, BoJack was something that a lot of other people I don't think had the vision to see as being something other than it was yeah. uh, from the initial 13-minute presentation that 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 we made, and and to see the genius that is Raphael. And, you know, I had the good fortune to work there early on sure. in when they were just starting to make original content. They had kind of House of Cards and Arrested Development. Yeah. And there were about four people working at Netflix at the time. It was crazy. Um, I know. I feel like I'm like one of the first employees there. I, you know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, I should have bought stock. Yeah. And, uh, or I should have asked for it. Um, and now I've seen it grow. And now, you know, we'll be on Flaked and they'll be like, Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, I work for Netflix. Like, oh, you do? Since when? Since Tuesday. (laughs) You know, their whole mantra is we hired you to do it. We're not going to tell you to do what you do. Yeah. Uh, We will try to help you do it the best way that we think that you can. But otherwise, and, you know, this season, you know, I never directed before. And even though I show show ran with with my partner, Mark Chappell, who's an Englishman uh, from Todd Margaret is how Mm -hmm. I know him and which he did with David Cross. And. 
and this year as we were sort of getting to think about directing and, and Netflix was like yeah we're, we're psyched you should direct like okay you know that's exciting hang on one second <laughs> well we have to wrap it up so finally just yeah. to say we hear without giving anything away we hear some rather inspirational Michael Jackson lyrics throughout this film <clears throat> if you could very kindly sign off to our listeners with some imparting words of wisdom something inspirational to get them through the rest of their day that would be very kind I think at the end of the day you've got to ask yourself are you human or are you dancer <laughs> my signs are vital amazing Will Arnett an absolute pleasure thank you so much thank you thank you the lovely Will Arnett there and if you want to hear more from Will Arnett or read more from Will Arnett uh, then there's a feature with him talking about all the big screen Batman to date Batmans Batman he says Batman I say so, Batman really no, no. so uh, that's in a new issue of Vampire which is on sale now and all good and evil news agents just £4.50 of your money will get you that and there's more stuff in there as well but uh, hey anyway anyway a hard sell another time enough shameless plugs of vampire related stuff uh, it's time to talk about movie news oh hey what's up oh look the nominations for the three Empire Awards have been announced oh, tell me more about these Empire Awards <laughs> so the Empire Awards are taking place March 19th in London at a top secret central London location uh, as close as McDonald's as possible please guys if you can do that I'm sure we haven't booked anywhere McDonald's down the road might be available you never know after party after party at Mackie D's that'd be amazing uh, leading the nominations is uh, Rogue One the Star Wars story which has nine nominations Deadpool has five nominations I think Deadpool himself cast a lot of votes for that one uh, let's just run through some of the big nominations very very exciting stuff best film presented by Sky Cinema Hunt for the Wilder People our film of 2016 yes Arrival <laughs> yes I'm just going to say yes after every one of these Adam the Lana Land what oh Rogue One a Star Wars story yep Yep. Deadpool. Okay. Now, that's five very, very interesting, diverse films, and we reflect. And this is what I love about the uh, the Empire Awards over the years. You guys, the little people at home, me and Nick, vote for these, mm-hmm. right? So they reflect the tastes of the moviegoers, as opposed, you know, to the Academy, the liberal the Oscars, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association up there in their ivory towers. It's with the their will of the people, is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. So you can't vote against any of these films. Yeah. 52% of you voted for these movies. <laughs> and the rest of us have to accept it and go along with it. Uh, oh, so this has gone off the rails. <laughs> for the this has gone off the rails. This has turned into podcast X. Podcast X. Exit. Exit. So that's exciting. Um, Best British film, presented by The Hollywood Reporter. High Rise, yep. solid. Yep. I, Daniel Blake, solid. Mm-hmm. The Girl with All the Gifts, solid. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, mm-hmm. solid. Mm-hmm. Small Films. <laughs> no. uh, and Eddie the Eagle oh yeah it's good yeah it's good nice to see some of the films that we love getting recognition to see them nice to see them nice pretty sure our dad has voted for Eddie the Eagle he said that was the best film he's seen for about 20 I, years I haven't spoken to him about that really he's really loved it Eddie the Eagle's a very lovable film it is it's, it's very sweet nice, happy oh, very good music as well I happen really to know he's a big fan of the Nice Guys screenplay which has been nominated for best screenplay oh what else has been nominated for best screenplay Phil Hunt for the Wilder People 
Okay. Uh, no child gets left behind. No script gets left behind. <laughs> <laughs> That's our motto. That's my motto. Um, Hello, High Water, which is a cracking script. We watched that film a, again yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Stands up. Fantastic. That film. Really should... good to see that getting Oscar nomination as well, whilst we're on yeah. the subject, because it came out such a long time ago with so little fanfare, and it's gathered... And it's just, I think its quality has, uh, has spoken for it, really. We'll be talking about the BAFTAs in a second as well. And that film's really interesting to me because Jeff Bridges is the one who got all the acting heat from that. And he's very, very good in it. And mm. he's been nominated for an Oscar and a BAFTA, Best Supporting Actor and all that sort of stuff. Ben Foster and Chris Pine are every bit as good. They and, are. And, you know, they're, Chris Pine in particular is doing something that we've never really seen him do before. I came uh, out of it having thinking... Having a moustache. <clears throat> having a moustache. I came out of, I came out of it thinking uh, Chris Pine was was probably the secret MVP of that one because he he was stretching himself in new directions and I didn't know he could do that. Mm. I mean, he's, he's not like, physically, like, yeah, like Mister Ben Reed Richards, <laughs> um, but you know, doing new stuff. Uh, ben Foster, we know can act, obviously. But, yeah, uh, I didn't they, quite believe that they were brothers, but maybe I don't know. They got different dads. Maybe Who I think knows? it's pretty pretty integral to the script that they do have the same parents. But you're right. They, there's a certain same mother, certainly. Well, no, you're right. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Anyway, other best screenplays: Deadpool, Arrival, and The Nice Guys. Wow. Yeah, that's the, those are good that's screenplays. Very solid. Those are solid good screenplays. List. Uh, best director presented by Few Entertainment: Taika Waititi for Hunt for the Wilder People, uh, Denis Villeneuve uh, for Arrival, <laughs> is Denis Villeneuve, uh, Ken Loach. Andrea Arnold for American Honey. That's a good nomination. And Gareth Edwards for Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. That's it's all good stuff. And the, the one I really... I always love this guy. Oh, Best Horror is good. Under the Shadow. Yeah. The Witch. Yep, yep, yep. Green Room. Conjuring 2. Don't Breathe. Good stuff. Good um, stuff. Categories I always love are the best male and female newcomers. So Best Male Newcomer is Julian Dennison, Hunt for the Wilder People. Lewis McDougall for Monster Calls. Riz Ahmed for Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Mm-hmm. Interesting choice. Yep. Uh, Dave Johns for uh, Daniel Blake and Tom Holland for Captain America Civil War, mm. uh, which t- didn't get Best Film nomination, which is surprising. Uh, best Female Newcomer, Anya Taylor-Joy for The Witch, Senya Nanua for The Girl With All The Gifts, Sasha Lane for American Honey, Hayley Squires for I, Daniel Blake, which got a lot of love in our awards, mm. uh, and Anjuri Rice uh, for The Nice Guys. It's all very interesting, isn't it? Oh, good stuff. Um just quickly, lastly, uh, best TV series. What would you What would you pick from Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, The Night Manager, Sherlock, and Westworld? I'd pick MasterChef, The Professionals. Yeah, <laughs> Stranger yeah. Things. Yeah, Stranger Things, definitely. Yeah, um, Westworld. I loved the first half of, but lost me a little bit by the end. Sherlock, I didn't love. Game of Thrones is always great. You kind of get used to how mm. good Game of Thrones is, but it did have a good season. This one, much better than the one before. But yeah, strange things. Mm. I, I would pick Fleabag and Yonderland from that selection. Ooh, Fleabag's a good pick, although mm. not actually a pick. Oh, I, so, I, I, oh you, you I actually want me to stick the ones that are nominated. Ideally, yeah. Um, MasterChef the Professionals Masterchef the gets Professionals. his own category. Yeah, obviously. that was such a good season this year. Oh, that was really good. It's sizzling. It was sizzling. It was so tame. Where's Bake Off? Bake Off. Bake Off. I'm, I'm not as in love with Bake Off as other people are. Okay. But, you know, it's still good, solid entertainment. Right. I'm glad to see it's back on our screens this year in and, t- on Channel 4. And the BAFTA's worth mentioning is actually shifted oh, yeah. from its iconic home of the Royal Opera House. Has it? Royal <laughs> o- Opera House. Has it? The Royal Opera House. Is that where it's based? 
It's iconic. Where, where is it? It is the Royal Opera House. Yes. They obviously... Has it shifted or not? Because I'm meant to be hosting something yeah, there and I, I kind of uh, need to know where it yes. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's at the Emirates Stadium in North London. So enjoy. It's at Mackie yeah, D's down the corner. kicks off at 9am. your flat right now. Tomorrow. <laughs> They're waiting for you. If you see me in the McDonald's on the on bottom of Charing Cross Road on Sunday wearing a tux, <laughs> wearing a tux and looking slightly <laughs> interviewing a packet of French fries, <laughs> wondering why people aren't showing up at Baftas, mm. um, then that'll be why. Where is it? Good to see you across the minutiae of this one. Um, I, get I all believe my it's the Royal Albert Hall. Really? Yeah. Are you making this, this is up? genuine news? Are you making this up? No, this is true. Is this actually true? Yep. This is amazing. Yeah. I'm getting my. I'm getting my <laughs> you're like Tom Tom for me. So where should I get off? What's what, what, the nearest um, tube stop? Oh, that would be South Kensington, South Ken. And then it's a. Oh, that's all right. That's on the Piccadilly line. That's good for me. Easy. We'll get okay. into the train times after the podcast. <laughs> okay, it's pretty fast. Do you right, have any uh, alternative travel s- tips for Chris? <laughs> feel free to tweet or Facebook or is it really email us at Empire. That's amazing. I, I genuinely thought it was a Royal Opera House again. That's amazing. No, it's the Royal Albert Hall. Wow. Sunday, the 12th of February, Chris. Let's do some news anyway, that doesn't involve Chris's anyway, uh, travel yeah. plans. Um, uh, so, yes, the, anyway, just quickly on the BAFTAs before everything. we f- move on. Uh, best film nominations there are Arrival, I, Daniel Blake, La La Land, Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight. What do we I, want to win? The best picture. I want Arrival. Mm. I've decided. Have you? I want Arrival to win. Gosh. I don't think it's going to win. I don't think it's going to win at the Oscars either, but I want Arrival to win. It's a damn good film. Go through the go through the nominations again. Best Ar- film: uh, Arrival. Uh-huh. I Daniel Blake. Uh-huh. Or one Daniel Blake. <laughs> La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, or Moonlight. See, I think La La Land will win, but don't rule out I Daniel Blake doing well. Uh huh. Yep. It's I a good crop of films this year. It is a good crop of films. I think it'll. I think I Daniel Blake will certainly win Best British Film. Um. Yeah, but it could, you know, because you never know. The Baptists sometimes they do go a little bit local. Like they do go local films for local people. It's a lock for best Daniel Blake. It's certainly <laughs> stiff competition this year, but yeah, he uh, might just you know, sneak yeah. it from Danny Blake. And as usual, I think you can watch it on television. And Chris may or may not be there. <laughs> My mind has been blown. Yeah, it's important that yeah. I know where the Baptist is being held. I know. Are you going this year? No, no, I'm not allowed back after the whole after. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's partly why they move venues. <laughs> Still mopping up from last time. Oh, yeah. Uh, the spectre of so, Phil's sickness haunts the place like the Babadook. <laughs> the um, Babadook. The Babapook. Oh, Babapook. The, the Babapook. There we go. We got the high fives, everybody. No, we got there in the end. No, we really need Helen to You're come real. back. Yeah, Helen, bring come Helen back. back. Um, can I mention a story that's not awards related, which involves Steve McQueen? erstwhile of this podcast has got a new movie out called Widows and he is recruiting uh, Elizabeth Debicki the willowy Aussie from such films as The Great Gatsby and The Empire uh, Awards nominated oh. The Night Manager which is not a film obviously but you know what I mean it's filmed <laughs> they use a camera to make it um, and she's in talks for this this is uh, also includes uh, Moonlight's Andre Holland um, and it's written with McQueen and, G- and Gone Girl's writer and novelist Gillian Flynn so mm-hmm. an interesting amalgamation of talent for this, this is one. a remake of the 1980s TV show yep 1983 miniseries about caper gone wrong yeah on ITV, I remember. No, I that think show. caper. When they say caper, they're not referring to the small green pickle, but they might be. <laughs> who knows? Uh, nope. Hang on, I'm reading further. The story follows four <laughs> armed robbers who were killed in a failed heist attempt, leaving their widows, hence the title, to finish the job. And Tabiki is going to be playing one of the widows. Um, 
interesting, sounds like an interesting sort of more of a genre vibe from McQueen, but who knows? That sounds good. Yeah. I suspect it will not be a caper. He doesn't make He doesn't that seem many, like a no. director prone to capering, and no. uh, that sounds a bit <laughs> bit heavy for a caper, but no, it sounds good. It sounds interesting. It does. That's it. That is interesting. Uh, no, 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 she's she's a very very good actress, and you can see her briefly uh, for the first time in the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two Super Bowl uh, teaser trailer. It was only a minute long, but you see yeah. her character for the first time, and um, yeah, she's she's great. She was really good, and one of the best things about the Man from Uncle. I know that's damn him with fame praise, but yeah. yeah, she's very very good. She's also in the the the, the Cloverfield follow up God Particle, okay, as well, which is coming later this year. So more Debicki. The biscuit, the bicky business Taking is the bicky booming. Um, so Jack Nicholson is back. <laughs> Solidly awful wordplay around there. Jack Nicholson's back. Jack Nicholson's back. Jack's back. This is this is genuinely amazing news because I'm pretty sure well, I heard from somebody that he had properly retired, um, and that was, was only Nicholson? only like three or four months ago. So he's back. Uh, apparently, he saw Tony Erdman the new um, art house movie and he loved it and he loved it so much he decided to make another version of it yeah well Tony Erdman as people are probably aware is a five star humdinger um, of a slightly different stripe it's three hours long and it's German and it's comedy but it is brilliant um, and I'm not just saying that because I like things that are German and three hours long um, it's also nominated for the best foreign film Oscar and I think it's probably a strong prospect to win that potentially um, and uh, I actually interviewed the director, Marin Addy, um, for her version of the film, obviously, quite recently. And, and, she, and she was saying that there were those talks with Hollywood about a remake. I mean, there's a long, you know, tradition of Hollywood mm. remaking six critically acclaimed European films in America. But I think that's just great. Having seen the film and loved it, I think it's a really good casting. It's obviously exciting to see Jack Nicholson back. Cause yeah. Like you, I mean, it's been, it's been what, seven years? It's been seven years. Seven his, years. His, his last. Uh, so in 2010, he starred in How Do You Know, the film which uh, should you know? have a question mark. How do you know? How do Because <laughs> I'm looking it up. Oh, okay. Um, it's uh, a, a, an annoyingly punctuated uh, James L. Brooks film. Um, How do you which, know? Because uh, I'm looking it up. Okay. And uh, before that, I'm still here. He popped up in that. I don't remember him popping up in that, but about the Casey Affleck, Joaquin Phoenix film. And then before that, it was 2007, The Bucket List, uh, the Rob Reiner cancer comedy, which yeah. he starred in with Morgan Freeman. And then before that, it was The Departed. Yeah, so he's, he's <clears throat> barely done anything for a decade. This is really exciting. I think it's great. If you're not all familiar with the story, it's about Tony Erdman is the alter ego of a father figure, um, Winfred uh, Conradi, who, who, who surprises, he lives in Germany, flies to Bucharest to surprise his daughter, um, played by Sandra Huller, um, whose role will be taken by Kristen Wiig in mm. the remake. Um, and uh, he, he kind of adopts this crazed uh, alter ego, Tony Erdman, who has fake teeth and just loves practical joking. There's a scene with a whoopee cushion, um, which is old school. And he, 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 he it's kind of, um, it defies description really, but, but it kind of, over three hours, it, it covers a lot of stuff it's very funny and very heartwarming and it, it features one of the greatest nude scenes in cinema um and highly recommended and i just think that they've probably nailed the casting and people are saying Kristen wig maybe 
too broad comically, but I think she does think good, that, good think, dramatic work. We saw her that's, in yeah, that's crazy. We saw her in The Martian. We saw her in um, Skeleton Twins. Yeah, she's great. She's, she's, Mitty. I mean, she she's good at that. And she's fantastic. She can do anything, anything. Uh, Kristen Wiig. Yeah, and also that you know, I, I I having seen this, I really feel that that's good casting from that point of view, and I think the yeah. two of them together will be great. So Adam McKay's involved as and Will producer. Ferrell. Will Ferrell's yeah. also producing. Yeah, so mm. yeah, I'm excited about this. Is you know, question is, is it going to be nearly three hours long? And is it going to be called? What's it going to be called? And where's and the other the other issue? I think the other sort of moment of pause is this is very specifically specifically about corporate the corporate world and about you know cultures colliding in strange places, expats at work. You know, it's set in Bucharest. He's German, she's German. There's Romanian. It's there's a lot of things going on culturally, which you're going to have to move to another sort of setting in an American setting people are speculating will it be will she be in Mexico will he fly to Syria in Mexico I don't know but you know see the film and, and let us know what you think about oh, the idea I America think itself exciting. there are so many different countries almost within America itself they, you know they could go to the deep south they could go whoever yeah. you could go anywhere it's, I, it's, you know. I hope people get wind of this and then think yeah. they want to go and see the, the film that's out now because but, it's yeah. well worth it I'm always a little bit kind of wary of you know when a great movie a great foreign language film comes out and then they just announce a Hollywood remake straight away you mm-hmm. kind of go well can't people just watch the original but I, yeah. think, I think the fact that Nicholson is driving this apparently he saw a screener and he phoned up the head of Paramount himself and said I want to make this that's awesome that, that's so there's the, that, yeah. that's exciting yeah because awesome. you want to see another great Jack Nicholson performance what you don't want is you know the secret in their eyes scenario where there's a great Argentine film that's very specific to that time and place that's transposed into American men into a really Bang average mm-hmm. kind of generic thriller, which I could not recommend less. But I don't think I don't feel there was any momentum behind that film. I think when it came out, everyone was like, "Oh, oh, they, oh, they made that film. Okay, this feels like it has real momentum." For example, the film that doesn't have momentum was the Raid remake, which was announced a few years ago. Had a director, Frank, had gonna cast. Be Frank Grillo was, right? Frank was it was going to be in it? So it was Ethan Hawke, I believe, and then it just mm. vanished, yeah. vanished into the ether. And you kind of feel at the moment has past mm-hmm. for that if they announced the raid tomorrow or Train to Busan is another film they're trying to remake at the moment yeah and it feels like that moment has passed it feels like this movie has momentum behind it and if Jack Nicholson if he is, I am hugely excited about this I know that some people are poo-pooing it but this uh, this is one of the screen greats of of any generation and if he wants to get in front of a camera again and even if he is just playing the thinly failed Jack Nicholson <laughs> I'm okay with that that is fine by me yeah very excited but it's exciting yeah. you know it's like if Gene Hackman suddenly oh, decided to do another film don't man don't, don't no oh, don't, no that would be awesome no don't awesome. tease me with that but That's, I mean it's it's that level of the of, man's last movie was Welcome to Mooseport <laughs> You know what I mean? It's he's, just like, he might, you know. I've heard he's developing Welcome to Mooseport 2. <laughs> Colon, it's back to Mooseport. It's a terrible film. It's just... It, <laughs> I've not seen it. I've got to it confess. could have been, you know... You, I, you, you interviewed him. I interviewed you did the him, final yeah. ever interview with Gene Hatman, right? Well, that's... Guilty Billy somewhat but I, I did an interview with um, I hope it's not the final interview with Gene Hackman I hope he, he's around for many many years and does many interviews with many people um, uh, yeah I interviewed him because he, he writes books he, he's a novelist and he um, he retired a few years ago uh, as he told me because of um, some health issues and yeah. I think that's why he hasn't he hasn't come back he doesn't sound like this is a couple of years ago now but he didn't sound like he was missing it but I just you look at someone's filmography and before Welcome to Mooseport, it's Royal Tenenbaums. 
And then there's Welcome to Mooseport. And he's just gone, come on, Gene, just make one more. Yeah. Come on, Sir Sean, just make one more so your last film is not Sir Billy LeFette. Yeah. <laughs> just Apparently he turned up on the set of uh, Four. Did you hear this? Who? The, the first Cackman Four, Gene, Gene Hatman, because he was living, he lives close to where they were filming. Yeah, he, he lives in up, New Mexico, yeah. Yeah, so he just turned up with his wife on the set one day. And was like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> That's awesome. amazing. So he could have been in it. But anyway. He yeah. has been in stuff. I mean, not not movies, but there was a TV show. Like, you know, one of those, um, not not Man vs. Food, but something like that. Like Hackman, this, Hackman vs. Food. Hackman vs. Hack Food. And, <laughs> where this guy, I was just watching one day on like the Food Channel or something. And uh, there was this program where this guy goes around and he was in Santa Fe. And Gene Hackman was in his... Amazing. The place that he'd gone to. And he ended up interviewing Gene Hackman. That's amazing. But I, I, I rewatched No Way Out the other night oh, and that's such, such a, a good, good movie. movie. Yeah. Such Will a good Patton movie. is so good in that film but Hackman, he just he is one of the greats. And he's yeah. actually my favourite actor of the last whatever. I'm going to just put that out there. Yeah. So I would love to see him again and Jan Nicholson. And Pesci. And Pesci. And, and Come on, guys. you name it. Oh. All these guys together in a sort of Expendables team up well Pesci was there was talk of him coming back for the the Irishman which is the hopefully the next Scorsese film uh, or one of the next Scorsese films which apparently they're going to have a CG Robert De Niro for half of it because they're de-aging him for, yeah. for, for the early scenes yeah as he um, mentioned on the Emperor podcast of course last yeah. year and uh, yeah Pe- Pesci is apparently that they've written a role for him but now he's kind of going hey, hey Marty Marty I don't know um, anyway we've gone off topic yep <laughs> let's, get back to some, let's get back to some actual news. Uh, i got some more news. Um, if you've seen Fleabag, which you should have done because it's flipping excellent, um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the creator and star of that show, mm-hmm. is being uh, signed in talks, is signing up, might be circling, whatever, the Han Solo movie, which is extraordinary news, really. If you, if you're, I mean, just I don't... I, yeah, I can only assume she'll be like in the cantina throughout, just on it. <laughs> cantina throughout just on it um, uh, recycling my own joke I hope she plays a character called Ilan Fleabagano because um, there's a character called Ilan Sleazebagano in the five star rated attack of the clones he's a guy who tries to sell death sticks to Obi-Wan Kenobi you know the guy yeah is that what he's called it's a five star scene he's called Ilan Sleazebagano mm. okay you want to buy some death sticks you don't want to sell me death sticks <clears throat> okay you want to go home and rethink your life okay. I want to go home and rethink my life Death sticks. Death sticks. Come on, George. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love I love Fleet Bag and Phoebe Waterbridge is amazing and stick Phoebe Waterbridge in all the movies. Uh, have her write all the movies, have her star in all the movies, mm-hmm. have her do those little asides to the camera in all the movies. Mm-hmm. Um in fact you can lose the whole Han Solo thing and just make it about her, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Apparently the role will be a CG driven performance. No. Yes. Unacceptable. Apparently. CG bag. <laughs> my wordplay is not quite a peak level today I, I was finally ill last night I have, I have some sort of excuse I've got no got no excuse and no shame alright is that it is there, is there anything else it's, it's quite a light a light spring week. oh I know what we wanted to talk about we were talking about this beforehand um, the fact that Paramount this week uh took two movies off their schedule completely yeah. one yeah. is World War Z Z two no Z no Z no uh, and the other one is Friday the 13th the, the latest remake of of that franchise <laughs> of, of, what's that film called yeah. I'm sad about one of those <laughs> which one uh, World War Z Z C two I really like the first one T apart from the scene where um, Brad Pitt as Jerry 
his mobile phone goes off on the airbase, which is just really irritating. Whenever that happens in a film, you just, I lose all sympathy for the character. So I'm just like, put your phone on silent. It happened in another thriller I saw recently where Trains- the phone goes off. Trainspotting 2. Trainspotting 2. Exactly. And I just go, nope, you're an idiot. You deserve to die. If that happened, if, you know, genuinely, you deserve to die if you don't put your phone on silent. I would love it if your phone went off just now. <laughs> Colin, Colin, um, Colin. No, especially if you're in a, a, a life or death situation uh, with zombies and so on. But I know I liked I liked that film quite a lot. Didn't love it, but I liked it quite a lot enough to want to watch another one, especially with um, yeah. Juan Antonio Bayona. Was it him? Mm. Yes, it was. It was Juan Antonio Bayona. Yep. It was gonna, and Stephen Knight uh, was brought on to write the screenplay. So it had a good pedigree. This had a good pedigree, and then obviously, um, yeah, Bayona just did well, for whatever reason didn't come together. Bayona went on to direct Jurassic World Two, which starts filming any minute now. And you know, it just feels to me that maybe once again we're talking about that word momentum. It sounds like a football podcast, but you know, the momentum fell away from the project, and they were there was there was rumor there were there were rumors a couple of months ago that they were trying to get David Fincher, the Brad Pitt, still trying to make this this movie happen. He was trying to get David Fincher to direct it, but it feels like it's just going to slide quietly away into the night, and I, I kind of, I'm kind of okay with that, because I, I liked the first film. The mm-hmm. first film surprised me, um, and obviously it went through so many public travails, but it turned out all right. But I'm not desperate to see what happens next uh, in the continuing adventures of Jerry Lane. Jerry Lane. Jerry Lane. Jerry Lane. And also, I kind of feel that it wrapped itself up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was one of those weird films. Like, we talk all the time in the podcast about how a lot of movies make the mistake these days of leaving themselves wide open for a sequel in a fit of optimism. And weirdly enough, World War said, see, said, which was always mooted as part of a big new franchise, does kind of, well, it has they, that kind they, of, they do discover... They have that montage yeah. of all of the scenes that they cut from the film. A different <laughs> yeah. ending. Yeah. So it does kind of, like, give you... Global scale. I mean, I still think there's potential in the the epic imagery that that they could have done with that series that I say the Walking Dead maybe can't do. But there are images in the the, the book it's based on with you know a submarine being taken over by underwater mm. zombies and stuff. Just the like, Paris think, catacombs. Yeah, I just feel like there's potential stuff. for a really epic, yeah. huge zombie film which we haven't seen, and there were tastes of that in some of the scenes in the first one. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I think they could push it further. Um, Perhaps, I, so I would be on board. I would be on board for another one. Perhaps the feeling is now we're in, we're in a situation though where right now the marketplace is, you know, you have two maybe three years max between sequels. Otherwise, you lose that currency, you lose that, that recognition. You know, we were in a situation now where you know whether it's a Marvel, the Marvel or DC or Star Wars, but we're getting those movies every year, sometimes two or three times a year. So you don't forget. You know yeah. what I mean? Whereas I feel if a World War said 2 comes out in 2019, 2020, you might need to have a pamphlet handed to moviegoers as they go in just to remind you what the first film was. Pacific Rim is going to be five years between films, isn't it? Is Pacific Rim five years? Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Okay. 2013, and See, then that's, the next one's out next year. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's... So, it's these are gambles. I mean, the thing is, you know, Pacific Rim made four hundred million dollars worldwide. That's that's a gamble. You you push the button on a sequel at that point, and it could go either way. Next one could come out, and people could go, "Oh yeah, Pacific Rim. I love Pacific Rim. I'll, I'll go and see that again." Hmm. And it makes six hundred, seven hundred million worldwide, and then becomes just you know, start the film with previously on Pacific Rim. That's what it needs to do. Yeah, it needs to have apocalypse. Like Phoebe Waller Bridge. <laughs> yeah, recapping. Yeah, all the films to camera. Yes. 
you remember it's full of your favourite characters like Clanky Mc Robot Face and <laughs> um, yeah. uh, Chuck Yeager Chuck Yeager Chuck Yeager <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Friday the 13th got canned as well and that, that yeah. seems to maybe be canned canned can can mm. doing the can can are you upset about that? no okay no. we're excited about the new Halloween aren't we? we are because John Carpenter's getting involved yeah and it's Jason Bloom yeah I mean, yeah, yeah we're excited we're excited it's more excited than you would generally be about a Halloween film yeah I'm excited about that okay damn it Good. Yes, Agreed. I'm excited about that. Agreed. Uh, and we should be excited as well. We should mention as well that uh, Karen Hardy's The Nun, that uh, which got uh, greenlit after last week's podcast. Which I out. have suggested to him that he retitle Blood Wimple. It's frankly a better title. <laughs> Corin, you know it's true. Can we stop verbally retweeting ourselves? Did you? I'm sure that that, that, that good sounds new to me. That was, was, good? No, was that a tweet? That was a tweet. That was, was that a tweet? That was a tweet. Sorry, oh, sorry, I'm, I've retweeted myself. I'm just, I'm just glad that someone else came up with a nun pun beyond the habit none rosary because I was out after those three I was done I, I, I tweeted done. those about, yeah. okay uh, well you know, you're not alone mate you're not alone with your tweets um, have, there no, been, have there been a lot of evil nun films I can't think of too many evil nun films but what's interesting about this is it's good to see Corn Hardy getting a, another movie because I know he's been trying to get the crow off the ground of course formerly of this podcast um, a couple of times actually uh, he's been trying to get a couple of movies off the ground so it's good to see this happening but what's interesting about this as well is that the nun is a spin-off of the country movies and so at this point when that movie comes out there will be more country spin-offs <laughs> than there actually are country movies that's true which there'll is- be Annabelle Annabelle 2 yeah and the nun wow yeah well, look, if this nun is more scary than the one in the Blues Brothers, then that's going to be absolutely <laughs> the terrifying. The penguin, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah, no, there's, uh, there's potential. I'm looking forward to that. It's all good. It's all good. Okay, so that's it for uh, movie news. And now, a word about our sponsor, mustard.co.uk. Life is all about options. We all know that. But when it comes to getting the right car, fan, or motorbike insurance, how do you know you've chosen the right policy? Well at mustard.co.uk their online price guarantee means you get exactly what you need from some of the best deals on the market so remember when it comes to getting you great insurance you can count on mustard.co.uk so whoever you are whatever you drive get comparing and see if you can get cover for less with mustard.co.uk okay our last guest this week is one of the greatest actors of all time period uh, and we know this because just before we came in to do the podcast, we did a Sporkle quiz, uh, seeing how many of his films we could name. Uh, 46 films. And he's done a lot of classics. Yeah. Uh-huh. Crimson Tide. Yeah. Glory. Out of yep. Time. Training Day. <laughs> Out of Time is the one we didn't get. Philadelphia. He's done tons. Oh. Tons. Yeah. Because he, he's sent to Washington. We should mention that. He's sent to Washington, of course. Uh, he has directed before in the past but never as successfully as with this week's Fences, an adaptation of August Wilson's play. Uh, he's been nominated for a Best Actor for it as well. Uh, it's all very, very exciting. I went along to talk to Denzel after we recorded this, so let's hope it goes well. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Denzel Washington, director and star of Fences. How are you, sir? I'm great, thank you. Good, good, good. Are you jet-lagged? you okay? Yeah, I'm, you know, in and out. You know, I'm trying to, trying to not eat too much at this time of day because I'm feeling okay. like that afternoon wave that hits you uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know well I, I live in that afternoon wave that's my perpetual state <laughs> um, congratulations on the film it's an Thank amazing you. achievement Thank and this you. is this is a, a piece of work Fences that has been in your life in one way or another for about 20-30 years I read an interview you said you first saw this performed 
with yeah, James oh Earl yeah, Jones. yeah, yeah. But 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 it wasn't in my life. Wasn't I saw life. it. Yeah. yeah, I saw it in the eighties with James Earl Jones and 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 Mary Alice and, and uh, Courtney Vance, and was moved by it. I mean, I was closer to Corey's age than than to Troy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, about seven years ago, uh, or more, seven years ago, Scott Rudin uh, uh, gave me a call about screenplay, asked me if I wanted to direct it, produce it. So I read it, and I realized I had never read the play. I'd seen it. So I read yeah. the play, and uh, I called him back and said, let's do the play. And we, he said, do you want to do the play? <laughs> he mustn't have been expecting that. <laughs> no, I don't think he did. I said, you know, and I'm glad I did because, number one, well, we had great success. Yeah. It's, number one is great play. Start yeah. there. We had great success with the play. I found out, okay, I can do the part. Because, you know, you, you, for him to say, you know, let's do the movie. And I'm like, well, am I right for the movie or whatever? But once we did the play and the success we had at the play, and, and you know, there was great performances from Viola and Stephen Henderson and everybody. Then it took me another two or three years. I, was, I had some other projects lined up and backed up and, you know, life. Yeah, and uh, about two and a half years ago, I said, "All right, let's go." And that was a process leading up to uh, finishing the film in 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 November. So uh, it was a slightly misleading uh, question, and it, it made it sound like you've been obsessing about this play for the last thirty mm-hmm. years. But what I was interested in was um, your reaction when you first saw it back in '87. You saw James, an amazing cast. Actually. Again, because I was younger, yeah. it wasn't like I said, oh, I want to be Troy one day. Yeah. I related, not to say I related, but what I remember is the mom. Okay. And maybe because my parents are divorced and I was very close to my mother. You know, so I've been telling people about this film and I've been saying this over and over. When people ask me, what do you want people to get from it? I say it depends upon what they bring to it. So for me, maybe at that point in my life or whatever, that's what I remember. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I remember the great James Earl Jones. Yeah. But something about maybe it's just is maybe that's just inherent in the in the in the material because no one is going to say they don't remember Viola Davis. This is true. Uh, so as a as an actor, especially at the time, I mean, think about your 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 career at that time. It was around the time of Cry Freedom. Mm-hmm. It was around the time that you were leaving St. Elsewhere and you were really striking out and becoming. Well, before before I was yeah. leaving, yeah, 80, okay. 86, 87. Yeah, yeah, I didn't leave it. We it, it, they it's sent tough. us home. It's tough, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. In eighty eight, in the little snow cloud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. You know that? I know that. Oh wow! It's, it's, it was all a dream or something, it was right? All a dream, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you managed to escape the snow globe and you're, you're striking out in your own as an actor I mean uh, as a movie star as well uh, I'm just fascinated when you watch a play like this uh, to see the roles that you zero in on as an actor and it's fascinating that back in the day it wasn't Troy that was the big appeal to you that that, that, that intrigues me well I, I, you know you don't go to a play or I didn't go to that play mm. I didn't know what I was going to see first of all I hadn't read it when I saw James Earl Jones do it and all of that Yeah, and just like I don't project to what I might be doing when I'm 90, if I'm around <laughs> now. You know what I'm saying? I, sure, I just, yeah. you just, I'm not thinking about, oh, that's a great 80-year-old part I should play one day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't, I, Absolutely. you know, you go, you enjoy the, the, the theater. I actually, again, when I read the play and it said 53, I guess what I thought was, I can't even say that, but maybe... I didn't think I was old enough or I didn't know. I really didn't know yeah. how old Troy was. Yeah. I know I was much younger than James Earl Jones yeah. or I knew that or I felt that he was much older than me at that time. And uh, for whatever reason, I hadn't read it. 
So you uh, you did play in 2010 mm-hmm. uh, to great success, as you said. Uh, there was a few years between that and getting the film off the ground. Mm-hmm. When you went back to playing Troy, as well as you have this other job of, of directing the thing, mm-hmm. uh, was was it easy to find him again? Was it like riding a bike? Well, with one pedal. <laughs> 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 That's a pretty good analogy, right? That's because good. I thought you think you remember all the lines, yeah, and you can't remember them sp- specifically. Uh-huh. You know, I could paraphrase. So I had, for other reasons, I had an extensive rehearsal period because number one, we we, we had to cast a new young man, a young boy, uh, Corey, because the other ca- guy was too old, the kid who did. It you know, on, on Broadway, and we had to cast a girl. So I wanted enough time to catch them up. I wanted a longer rehearsal period, and I, what I did was I hired these young kids to understudy every part. Not forget standing in. You got to be off book, learn the blocking, be ready. Do everything we did. I got a big gymnasium in a church, and we taped out the backyard, kitchen, front room, dining room, upstairs, the street, everything, uh-huh. so that we could work it almost like a play. Uh-huh. Wow. And then I could plug in and understudy anytime I wanted. Sometimes after we would rehearse, I'd send them home and I'd rehearse with the understudies. And now I could stand out as a director oh, because cool. I knew yeah. not so much for their performance. I wasn't rehearsing that, but where they're going to be. So Charlotta, uh, the, the cinematographer and I would walk around. Even when we we would do that sometimes in the evening after I finished rehearsing with the other actors. Then we'd come in with the other actors and she'd walk around. Okay. And I'd have, you know, she'd find places to stand and she's making notes. And then when they went home, she and I would go through that. And, you know, preparation is the key. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I've asked a number of uh, actor directors this, uh, but again, I'm fascinated by the process. Uh, When you have a big day of acting ahead of you and you're the director... How do you compartmentalize that? Do you have someone who watches your performance for you? Do you gauge it yourself? I would imagine that every director that you, actor director that you ask, wasn't directing a play. <laughs> no, I'm just saying <laughs> yeah, that because true. we had it in our bones already and we knew what worked. Yeah. We didn't have to find it on the day. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we won the Tony Award for Best Revival. So we, I, the, my job was not to screw it up. He already won a Pulitzer Prize. He already won all these Tonys. My job was not to screw it up. So it wasn't like on the day I'm, I'm, it would have been, if I had not done the play, I couldn't have directed and acted in the film. Okay. Would have been impossible. Yeah. The guy doesn't shut up for 22 minutes. <laughs> this is very true. Yeah. This is, he's a very gregarious guy. Yeah. But there's also, there's also a lot of, uh, there's, there's an anger that burns inside Troy as well. Um, is it easy to access that as an actor? Is it, I, that you know, you? again, it depends upon what you bring to it. Yeah. I never use the word anger. Oh, okay. Frustration. Frustration, yeah. Yeah, frustration. You know, it, there's a very interesting arc in that scene with with his son, Corey, when they're cutting the boards. Yeah. Because it really starts off very lovely, very, very nice, and they're laughing about things. And where Troy is frustrated about his past with baseball, and the boys feels comfortable enough to talk about, well, you know, what about that other play? He was good. He was that. He was this. He was that. And he says, I'm through with it now. Yeah. And you go, uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't start off to be that. Yeah. Then that's like step one. Then he goes into, so your mama said you you, you, you down at the A&Ps. And, and then he finds out he's not working and it goes to, you know. And then really in the midst of that, some of what can appear to be anger, 
Mm-hmm. He's actually teaching yes. him okay. about responsibility. You know, and he says the man doesn't give me my money because he likes me. He gives it to me because he owes me. Yes. You know, right. yeah. yeah. Don't you go through life worrying about whether people like you or not. That's what he says. You best be making sure they're doing right by you. But he's a man who is is clearly frustrated. Absolutely. By and anger's all right to use, but yeah. you know, but not all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, certainly towards the end of the film, anger begins to manifest itself a little mm. bit more. Mm. Uh, but he's a man who's frustrated by uh, a ceiling that's been placed in him by uh, society. Mm. Uh, and looking at the play now, obviously set in the 1950s, written in the 1980s, been revived a couple of times. Now we hear it as, as a movie. It feels as timely now as it probably did back in 1987. Is that, That's what the great that? plays yeah. do. Yeah. That's why they're great plays. This isn't for this time. This is for all time. Yeah. Death of a salesman, you, you know, apply where you like. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. As, a, as an actor, you've worked with a number of directors several times, Antoine Fuqua and mm-hmm. Tony Scott, obviously Spike Lee, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, do you know when you've clicked with a director? Is this something that... There's a moment where you, oh, I'm simpatico with this guy. I, I, I could, I could roll with this guy a couple more times. Each case is different. Yeah. I mean, in the case of Tony, we did Crimson Tide in what was it, '94, uh, and we didn't do another film for ten years together. That's true. You know, so it also has to do with them calling you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Spike, we did Mo Better Blues and. 89 but we were already talking about Malcolm X okay then because he had seen me do it yeah. 10 years earlier on stage yeah. so we had talked about it we didn't know when you know I didn't know when he was going to make it or when we were going to make it but we did start you talking about it. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah 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 well we didn't know because we didn't have the money yet but <laughs> we wanted to make it I knew I knew he wanted to make it okay and uh, Antoine is he, again that's that's a director that you've you've worked with obviously Training Day then took a break. Yeah, from training day was two thousand one, and then we came back together. What? How many years? Well, equalizer was two thousand fourteen. So. Thirteen. Well, we yeah. did it in thirteen. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. ten, ten, wow. ten, twelve years. It's just the nature of it. You know, you yeah. you you're off to do something. Sometimes schedule doesn't mix, and sometimes you just don't have the role. Yeah. yeah. Tony Scott's fascinating because. Um, if you watch Crimson Tide and then watch, say, Take the Pelham 1, 2, 3 or Deja Vu or even Unstoppable, his style changed, changed big time. as a director. Man on Fire changed a lot. Man on Fire is huge. That was the moment, really. Yeah, well, he, he used to shoot these, I don't know what they call them, but like long commercials yeah. for BMW. I think they're more, you know what they call those? Uh, you know, I don't know. They do these long commercials. I don't know if that's for the people at BMW or whatever but he practiced because I remember him showing me this BMW commercial with Gary Oldman and uh, James Brown and you started to see he was practicing did you ever see that? I saw that yeah one. so there's shots in there like Man on Fire Yeah. so he shot that before Man on Fire and he showed it to me to let me know where he was going in fact there's shots of them in the back of the car sitting in the car yes. that he uses in, in uh, Man on Fire really? Yeah, so I think that was his style to practice. Like, for example, I hadn't directed in eight or nine years from, from Great Debaters. And a friend of mine, Debbie Allen, runs uh, uh, the show for uh, uh, Grey's Anatomy. Uh-huh. And she asked me to do an episode, and ordinarily I was, you know, but I said, yeah, let me get back behind the camera before I make a movie. And it's television where they do 10 pages a day, which is tough. Yeah. 
So I said, yeah, that's even better. Let me let me f- feel how hard it is to do that. Wow. And then by the time we get the, to, to, to Fences, it might be two pages a day, <laughs> you know, which you feels like nothing. Yourself, yeah. yeah. Get yourself yeah. back in the game. Sometimes. Exactly. So you were back on the, the set of a, a TV show set in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Were you tempted to end that episode? <laughs> yeah, and, with the thing. Globe? I, you know, I wasn't a part of that scene, so I wasn't there when they <laughs> shot that. Norman Lloyd and those guys were, yeah, that would have been something. <laughs> it was all a dr- Troy's dream. <laughs> That'd be amazing if you just walked into Grey's Anatomy. No, again. no, and, and then the you dream. and then you you pull back from the little snowy thing and you see the little girl just sitting there <laughs> shaking it. No, no, you pull back from the from the thing and you see the girl, but she's a grown woman and she's shaking it. There you go. You need to go back and do another episode. Right. Yes. Right. Brilliant, Denzel. It's been a pleasure. Oh, Thank cheers. You so much. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, so that was Denzel Washington, and let's start the reviews section mm-hmm. with. Denzel Washington and Fences. Full cap. Yeah, Fences is is originally a play um, by August Wilson, the the August American. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, playwright and uh, Denzel himself uh, has played this role on Broadway uh, to great acclaim in 2010. And on the, this to this very magazine Empire, he broke the news back in 2013 that he wanted to star in and direct a movie adaptation. Um, of the film which is what we've got this week obviously and um, it, the story is set in the 50s and 60s in which Denzel plays a uh, waste collector dustman we'd call them Troy Maxson um, who lives with his wife Rose Viola Davis and their young son Javan Adipo I believe it's pronounced um, and it's basically the, the story of their this this kind of rather fiery man mm. and, and his relationship with his family um, and his need to impart the, the the tough lessons that he's learned in his life. He wanted to be a baseball player originally, and things didn't work out for him. So he carries a lot of uh, inner inner fire, inner frustration. He's been stymied in his dreams, and he's teaching his son some some pretty tough lessons in a way that you know it's a very Denzel-y part. He he kind of has a furnace beneath the surface that sometimes blows like a geezer. I've totally mixed my. <laughs> geological <laughs> geological metaphor very geologist listening get, apologies yeah, um, yeah what did you think yeah I really liked it I mean we gave this five stars um, which obviously means go and see it get off your butts and go and see Fences right away and it's been nominated for a, a number of Oscars and Denzel himself may may come out of left field and win best actor for this um, was that baseball I don't know. It was. It was. Was this? Yeah. And it, it, which kind of fits. There's, there's a, yeah. a, a big baseball theme running all the way through this film. Um, this is a, a, a wonderfully acted, beautifully written movie that doesn't quite escape its origins as a play. It is a series of long conversations between people in one location. Um, there are attempts to open it out a little bit, but. Uh, by and large, it's set in and around the backyard of Troy's house, uh, where he is building a fence, both literal and metaphorical, of course. And this is a really interesting character, a really interesting performance. Uh, Troy is a man who is trying his best to be a good person, but there, there is something inside. He has Troy is someone who's trying his best to be a good person. He's trying his best to be a good husband. He's trying his best to be a good father and a good employee. But there's something inside, the, 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 the rage that he feels at having been passed over in uh, what was then especially, even more so than now, uh, a white man's world. 
uh, are being overlooked in terms of a, a baseball career that he feels he could have had. He could have had an amazing baseball career. Um, and all those those little rejections uh, accelerate and accumulate and begin to fester and eat away at him. And he falls down. He has flaws. He makes mistakes. Uh, and you can see this in particular in relation to his son uh, by Rose, his wife by, by Fiola Davis. Uh, Corey is the name of the son. Uh, and Corey is on the verge of a potential sports scholarship and the constant bickering and arguments between the two of them as you can see that there is something in Troy that even though he wants the best for his son there's something about Troy's ego which gets in the way of that it's a very interesting character piece Uh, it's really really well written I have never seen Fences so I don't know how much of it has made the translation uh, from from stage to screen seems like a lot um, got a lot of meaty roles. People like McKelty Williamson, who you know from you know, character actor from over the years, from the likes of Heat, uh, really, really good as uh, as Gabe, who is Troy's brother, uh, who was uh, injured severely in World War Two and is now somewhat mentally diminished. Uh, Viola Davis, of course, smart money is on her winning the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, she's great in this role, and she she uh, initially doesn't get a lot to do but it really comes to the fore as the movie goes on. Uh, and it's just a very intense, very moving movie uh, that definitely is worthy of your time. Lovely stuff. Five stars. Lovely stuff indeed. Great way to kick off. A great way to kick off. Yeah. Five stars for Fences. Um, very, very good stuff. Yeah. And another do- dozy? Doozy? Doozy. Another doozy this week. It comes from um, Mike Mills filmmaker and REM bassist <laughs> Mike Mills uh, 20th Century Women if, I don't know if people saw The Beginners uh, which was a lovely piece of work with Ewan McGregor and mm-hmm. Christopher Plummer doing things that we'd not seen from them before that was kind of a tribute to his father this one is more of a tribute I think to his mum who is embodied by a character called Dorothea Annette Benning. it's set in the seven, in the, the end of the 70s mm-hmm. um, which is obviously a you know a, I guess the end of um sort of somewhere between the kind of Nixon and Ford and Reagan eras and it has a specificity in its in place she's just kind of a slightly hippie-ish vibe to her life um, but she's a brilliant character and is a great showcase for Annette Benning. Um speaking of the Oscars it's almost it's a bit of a shame that she hasn't really attracted any of the awards buzz for this I'll be honest I'm surprised yeah I'm surprised this movie's I mean, only been nominated once yeah it's been sort of omitted from from Oscars and then it's the kind of film that if it doesn't get Oscars buzz it doesn't really get any attention but it's, it's, it's the same thing it's the same thing we're talking about in terms of that Chris Pine Ben Foster being overlooked it feels like there's a shadowy cabal that gets together and goes you know I've talked about this in the podcast before this movie qualifies but not that movie and this person from that movie qualifies but not that person and it, it feels a little bit like uh, 20th Century Women and Mike Mills screenplay got nominated but it feels like their performances are great yeah, Greta Gerwig is fantastic. Yeah, just to, just to sort of round out the the, the, the narrative. I mean, it's it's mm. a it's a story with great female characters, really weird, really three dimensional, fleshed out characters. Um, that the, the, her son is kind of at the heart of the story. He's kind of coming of age. He's got a he's got a uh, a uh, burning crush on Elle Fanning, um, who he wants to be his girlfriend, but she's still his girl friend. Um, as our review points out, um, there's a bit of a difference there but perhaps not in his mind um, and like you say Greta Gerwig who's recovering from cancer and is part of this kind of um, troika of, 
of uh, of cool women um, who are in his life. So, you know, he doesn't really have that father figure, um, but he has really strong female role models. And um, it's just a lovely sort of character piece. Uh, we've given it four stars. And um, if we can do our bit by by giving it a, a, a bit of a a bit of a Mm. bit of a sort of push because it, I think it, it's been unfortunate in the awards ceremony not to get a bit more attention even mm. if it didn't get nominations I just don't think it was in the conversation enough and yeah. Annette Benning, who's been obviously an important figure in, in, in sort of I guess uh, the indie cinema in, in America for a long time um, has, hasn't really been prominent in recent years so it's nice to see her get a great role she was in that um, Al Pacino movie Danny mm. Collins not too long yeah. ago I think it's by choice no, not. yeah I think she's got other things going on quite clearly but um, it's nice to see her getting getting her chops mm. in getting her you know getting into something meaty yeah. It's a very funny film. It's a very warm film. Very uh, film that has a lot of wisdom and wit to it. Uh, there's a, a singer along every five minutes or so. There's also it's got a great soundtrack for people. I guess mm. uh, listeners of a certain age, um, it will be right in the sweet spot. Lots of Talking Heads mm. and Susie and the Banshees and Devo and stuff like that. So mm. um, and the music plays into it quite importantly. Yeah, yeah, four stars. Four stars indeed for twentieth century women. And uh, should we talk about Lego Batman? The Lego Batman. Yeah, let's talk about the Lego Batman. Shall Lego we? Lego Batman. The Lego Batman. Yeah, Will yeah. Will Arnett. Will Will Arnett. Will Arnett. Will Arnett. Um, obviously, this is the uh, the spin-off from the Lego Movie, which came out a few years ago, and had Batman in it, voiced by Will Arnett, and he was very very funny. And everyone said that guy is great, possibly the greatest uh, iteration of Batman on the big screen yet. He gets the uh, he gets the swaggering nature of it. He's really funny. He's got a great voice. Let's give that guy his own movie. That's what they said, and we were hopeful that this would be a comedy masterpiece. And it is very very funny. And I realise that I'm setting it up to, with a massive butt coming, but I really like this film. I didn't love this film. Uh, I wanted to love it. I was hoping that it would be absolutely amazing. Uh, and the first half hour is really funny. Well, probably one. Of the, it's going to be one of the funniest comedies of the year. I think when the dust has settled on 2017, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's you know it just hits you with joke after joke after joke after joke. Uh, it has an amazing action sequence at the beginning, which the the Joker and all his uh, all his villainous uh, compadres uh, get together and try and take Batman down, but obviously they can't. Uh, and then the movie begins to focus in on the emotional life of this Lego Batman. He is uh, He's very much alone. Uh, he very much wants to be alone. Uh, but uh, obviously he, there's something missing at the heart of this, this character. Um, the attempt to imbue this character with an emotional depth didn't quite work for me. The thing about Lego Batman is that he's enormous fun in small doses, pun intended, and didn't quite entirely charm me over 90 minutes he's a bit tough to spend 90 minutes with but the level of invention once again on display in a Lego movie in terms of the comedy in terms of the set pieces is astonishing Will Arnett is very very funny and he is funny throughout I just think that sometimes there are elements of this character that can grate and can wear a little bit thin uh, others around him are also very very good Michael Sarah as Robin Ray Fiennes as Alfred very very good doesn't get as much to do as I was I was hoping Rosario Dawson as Barbara Gordon, who fans of the comic will know, goes on to become someone else. Zach Galifianakis, very, very good indeed as a Joker. There's a whole ton of of cameos. Is his Joker better than uh, Jared Leto's? Uh, Yes. Yes. Do you think he sent Lego condoms to (laughs) to Will Arnett? Yeah, Lego rats. Do you think this film has the potential to make more money than Justice League this year? 
Oh, well, that's a I think the, the Lego movie it? didn't make a billion. I thought I, I checked it and I thought it had made a billion, but it made about 800, 700, 800 million. Uh-huh. Just wonder, given this is Batman, whether this could make more money. See, I, I just think Justice League is going to make a billion just a, a default setting. Uh, I just have that feeling. It just feels like it's going to... But you, Batman Superman didn't make a billion, though, did it? It didn't make a billion, but, but this, this is more people. But I don't so know if I'm, there's... I'm, I'm feeling that it might do that. And if, it's a, if it is a better film, which we're all hoping for, then it's got a good shot. That's, I hadn't even thought of that. It would be yeah. really interesting if this makes more money than the live-action Batman. Because you've yeah. never had two Batman <laughs> competing with each other. Well, obviously, it's the same studio, but you've never had two simultaneous actors yeah. playing, playing Batman at That's the same time. Does, does this miss Lord and Miller? I think it does. I mean, they are uh, obviously still involved. But, um, no, I just feel it, it tapers off a little bit. But it never stops being fun. But I was laughing uproariously for the first 30 minutes. There's so many great references to Batman movies past and to other pop culture uh, touchstones as well. And then I think for about the last half hour, I was just smiling a lot. And the okay. jokes do stop a little bit and the humour does wear a little bit thin. Uh, four writers credited. Lord and Miller are obviously off doing their, their other thing, but they were obviously still involved in this. Um, but would it have been better with them as directors? It's very hard to say, but you know, you're probably you're probably barking up the right bat tree with that one. But having said that, it is still a lot of fun. Uh, and honestly, the Lego movie grew on me over time. So there's every chance a Lego Batman movie will as well. Four stars for the Lego Batman movie. Um we don't have a lot of time left in the podcast this week, sadly, uh, so I will give honourable mentions in the Also Al column to Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, Ang Lee's latest movie, which has a very eclectic cast, uh, Britain newcomer Joe Alwyn, uh, Steve Martin, Finn Diesel, Christian Stewart, Garrett Hedlund, yeah, you know, all those people, uh, in a movie about a uh, an Iraq war uh, hero who is uh, on a propaganda tour of uh, the US with his company for two weeks, and he it culminates in a halftime show at a... Super Bowl-like experience. Uh, and the main thing about this movie, Phil, mm. is kind of interesting because people aren't going to get to see this movie, I think, in the form in which Ang Lee intended, which is he shot the movie at 120 frames per second. Now, of course, as we know, most movies are shot and projected at 24 frames per second. Mm. Uh, Sean the Goddard uh, quote, cinema is truth at 24 frames per second. There's a lot more truth in this movie if, you, <laughs> if you're taking, <laughs> it's taking it literally. It's the most truthful movie ever. <laughs> it really is. Uh, have you seen it at 120 FPS? Uh, n- n- um, not in 3D. Not in 3D. I haven't seen it in 3D. I've seen no, it. No, but it's only high frame rate, and yeah. it's, it's too much truth. It makes your eyeballs yeah. sort of pop I think out Ang Lee sockets, professed right? his desire to fuck the frame. Um, what? No, that wasn't Ang <laughs> Lee. That wasn't Ang Lee. Um, but yeah, it's it's a bit, it's ugly. It's not, I just, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. very strange film, and if you can get beyond the visual. But this is the thing. Not many people are going to see it at 120 FPS because this was uh, a big attempt in the States to try and, you know, to progress the, the medium a little bit. Uh, and it was roundly rejected. And uh, I think there were only two or three cinemas it in didn't the States. Even, it didn't even yeah. really come out in the States. It didn't really I come out. The, no. I, I feel like the studio didn't really believe in it. And yeah. So it just. So you'll see a film, a big budget movie with big big movie stars in it that, that looks essentially like it was shot in the camcorder, uh, which is really strange. Um, but there you go. And the film itself doesn't really hang together. It's a bit tonally all over the shop. Uh, so three stars for Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. Still some good stuff to recommend it, though. Vin Diesel's performance. Vin Diesel. Anything with Vin Diesel. What a man. Nick does not I look I want convinced. to see Xander Cage's long 
long, long water Finish motorbike. Okay. Long halftime <laughs> water motorbike ride. I, I need um, to see the return of Xander Cage. I just, I'm going to go straight, see it straight after this. No, you're not. No, I'm not. I'm going to work. <laughs> um, also out this week is Alice Lowe's Prevenge, uh, which she writes, stars, and directs. Uh, and has a baby. And she has was a actually baby. pregnant. Yeah, she, she was, was actually pregnant when she, when she filmed this movie. Uh, it's about a, uh, a pregnant woman who goes on a murderous rampage. And it is dark and gory and blackly comedic and features great performances from a, a host of British actors, including the likes of Kaivan Novak and Dan Rent and Skinner. And you really, really good people. Um, Joe Hartley's in it as well. So, and it has definite shades of Sightseer's. It's like Sightseer's weird cousin. So three stars for Prevenge. And a film we have not seen at the at the time of going to pod is Fifty Shades Darker, the sequel to Fifty Shades of Grey. I hear it's um, darker than the than the first one. I hear it's filthier. Ooh. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm clearing my schedule. As soon as I figure out Chris, that's not a schedule. Oh my word. Um Enough of that nonsense. So that's coming out soon. Uh check the Empire website for what we're gonna give that. Could be anything. Erotic. Could be anything. Special me. erotic stars. Especially, yeah. 69 stars. No, come on, Phil. You Sorry. can't. Oh. Sorry. You just you ruin everything. And that's it for this week's Emperor Podcast in association with mustard.co.uk, the insurance comparison site that helps you save time, money, and effort. Uh, join us next week for more film related fun. We will be live at the Woo! Prince Charles Cinema in yeah! London. Oh, yeah. For the 250th edition of this podcast, uh, we have, I am reliably informed, sold out of tickets for that. Uh, however, if, keep your eyes peeled on the Empire Twitter feed and also the Prince Charles Cinema Twitter feed, which is at the PCC London, uh, because people may be, may, might not show up, there might be returns, people might not be able to make it, so you know there might be some sort of ticket swap thing going, in, going on if you do fancy coming along and watching those idiots uh, giggling for two hours. Um, and um, we'll be joined by, well, wouldn't that be telling? I don't know. I don't know who's coming. Phil, are you coming? Yeah, I'll be there. Nick, are you going? Uh, if I can find the time. That's all we need. That's all we need. Uh, until then, until that glorious time, it is goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to be violently ill somewhere. Hopefully not over Denzel Washington. Uh-oh. Mm. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>